When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChampaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Episode number 62 of Unfermettable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history. As to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in some way, unfermettable. Speaking of orange and blue and Met uniforms, we're nearing a momentous anniversary of sorts that by all rights should augur the Mets sporting some throwback jerseys that some of their players once wore, let's say circa 20 years ago or so. No, not the standard black. I mean, any longtime listeners of the pod would know that I'm firmly in the Howie Rose camp of that representing a horrible bastardization of the Mets' traditional colors. And I would also like to add from a purely aesthetic fashion sense I really just don't think black goes well with the Mets version of blue and with orange. But do you know what black does go really well with? Silver. Because it's 2021, everyone, which is the purported year that the Mercury Mets were going to play. The Mercury Mets, who we got a one-day glimpse of in baseball's ill-fated 
Turn Ahead the Clock promotion in 1999. And I've thought about this a lot in trying to do some kind of podcast. That 1999 team was so memorable, uh, chock full of good players with impressive careers. But uh, so it's kind of hard to pick someone who you know would fit the theme of this podcast. But for me, personally, in certain ways, and just in general, the most random and unlikely Met to take the field that day in the Mercury Mets uniform was the Mets starting pitcher that day. Uh, sure, the Mets have had on their side many a big star on the wrong side of their career. I feel like I may have ranted in a previous podcast about that Mets Hall of Fame t-shirt that lists every quote-unquote Met Hall of Famer with like Eddie Murray and Roberto Alomar prominently mentioned and it's just like why would why would you sell and why would anyone buy that shirt when most of those players made anyway uh, I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent uh, because not while not in the Hall of Fame Oral Hershiser is undoubtedly one of the best baseball players we've discussed on an unformidable podcast that generally focuses on the random and the obscure. And because of that, I'll probably have to, unfairly to him, gloss a bit over the, very unfortunately for Met fans, impressive career of Oral Hershiser. Um, for fans who are of a younger vintage than I of the Mets, suffice it to say that, I don't know, Imagine, if you will, that in 2026, the Mets signed, let's say, an aging Eric Hosmer or Salvador Perez. You'd be pretty irate, wouldn't you? Even if the move actually made sense from a baseball standpoint. Even if it was like, oh, it's a cheap bench piece and we need a backup first baseman. We need a bat off the bench. You'd just think to yourself, no, this is not acceptable that this person wears our uniform after what happened in the playoffs, right? Well, for me, that was Oral Hershiser. Growing to appreciate Oral Hershiser as a Met, as a baseball player, and enjoy having him on my team in 1999 is one of the great personal upsets of baseball fandom that I can think of, and something that 1988 me would have believed was just not possible. And yeah, I'm sure Oral would be thrilled to hear that. I'm sure the the love and acceptance of Met fans in general, and this one Met fan in particular, would just make his career. But at any rate, it it probably does define the Bulldog as he was known, because he seems like that quintessential player that you hated when he was on the other team, but you really grew to appreciate the fierce competitor that he was when he was on your team. At any rate, Oral Leonard Hershiser IV was born on September 16th, 1958, in Buffalo, New York. His family seemed to move around a lot from what I read online and could gather in researching. He lived in Detroit, Cherry Hill, New New Jersey, and Toronto. As a kid, he played both baseball and hockey in his youth. Uh, But he eventually settled into pitching, which he did on the college level at Bowling Green University, where he didn't excel at first. That bulldog nickname that Tommy Lasorda gave him, and, you know, always seemed a tad ironic, given his slight build and his Mormon missionary look, for lack of a better analogy that I can think of. But 
However slight he seemed when he was in the majors, he was very undersized in college and wasn't really a star pitcher at all until uh, apparently between his sophomore and junior years in college, a late growth spurt added 15 pounds to his frame and more importantly about 5 to 7 miles per hour to his fastball and he began to impress enough in college until the Brooklyn the Brooklyn the Los Angeles Dodgers drafted him in the 17th round of the 1979 MLB draft. Uh, the original scouting report on him for the draft said he had poor control, a weak fastball and most interestingly to me that he rattled easily and had questionable makeup, which is very interesting for a pitcher who, for all his incredible talent and accomplishments, is probably known more as much or more for makeup than anything. When you consider his draft position and his minor league numbers, it's really amazing that he made it at all, much less the way he did. Uh, he pitched a lot as a reliever in the minors. He had an ERA in the threes and fours with a high whip. I guess that's why they say you can't scout that stat line in the minors, but uh, history almost is very different. In 1982, Hershiser was going to be included in a trade with the Texas Rangers, but uh, the player the Dodgers wanted, catcher Jim Sunberg, wanted his contract rewritten before agreeing to the deal. The Dodgers backed out of it, and they kept Oral. Uh, he pitched well in spring training of 1983, and again, the numbers didn't look great, but pitched well in AAA Albuquerque, which of course is a hitter's haven. Uh, so he eventually got a call up in September of 1983. He made his major league debut on September 1st. He pitched a perfect seventh inning, getting Gary Carter and Al Oliver to ground out and then struck out Tim Wallach. Uh, but then in the eighth inning, he allowed the first three runners to base to reach base surrendered a run, and uh, anyway, that was his major league debut. He pitched only eight uneventful innings in 1983, but he did record a save, one of five in his major league career. In 1984, uh, Hershiser made the roster for the defending NL West champions as a bullpen piece, and he earned the first of his 204 major league wins on April 5th of 1984, pitching a scoreless 12th inning. Uh, before Mike Marshall hit a three-run homer for a walk-off win against the Cardinals. Uh, one other first of note, the first of Oral's 466 career regular season starts came in Shea Stadium in Flushing, New York on May 26, 1984. Uh, Hershiser was struggling out of the bullpen, but forced to start due to an injury to Dodgers starter Jerry Royce. And he pitched well. He nursed a one nothing lead into the seventh, uh, struck out Daryl Strawberry to lead off the bottom of the seventh, but surrendered a tying home run to Hubie Brooks, the next batter. He'd get pulled right after that. The Mets would score an additional run off of Tom Needenfuhr to win that game, so the Dodgers would lose Hershiser's first MLB start. He moved into the Dodgers starting rotation for good in July and really flourished as a starter. He went 11 and 8 with a 2.66 ERA in 1984, finishing a distant third in the rookie of the year voting because no one, and I mean no one, was touching Doc Gooden that year. Again, you could probably dwell on his accomplishments pre-Mets for ages. 
Uh, we won't do as much as we probably could, but it, they were impressive. Uh, he went 19-3 and with a 2.03 ERA in 1985. Once again, losing out on hardware to the good doctor uh, and finishing a distant third in the Cy Young voting. Uh, one point, uh, 171 ERA plus is pretty outstanding, but Gooden was at 229 that year. Tudor was at 185 at stats that... We didn't even know existed in 1985, but suffice it to say, by traditional or advanced metrics, again, no one was touching the doctor. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Unfortunately for the Mets, it was Tudor and Oral Hershiser whose teams would go on to the playoffs that year. Oral would start and win Game 2 of the 85 NLCS to give the Dodgers a 2-0 lead, uh, but the Cardinals would roar back. The Dodgers had a 4-1 lead in games in the sixth inning of Game 6. The Cardinals scored three to tie it, knock Hershiser out, and three more in the ninth to advance to the first of four World Series in a row that I believe were rightfully should have been the Mets, but so it goes. 1986 and 1987, Hershiser pitched really well. Uh, 87 in particular when you look at advanced metrics, uh, but you know that was really a baseball era, as we know, defined by the one loss record, and Hershiser was 14 and 14 and 16 and 16 in those seasons. So, you know, even though he had this great start to his career, I think any sense that he was, you know, one of the best pitchers in the game uh, kind of faded away in large part because of those records, and that he definitely seemed in the in the parlance of the day at least a notch or more below the Goodens, the Clemenses, maybe even the Brett Saberhagens. But as I said, advanced metrics uh, said he had a really great 1987 in part because he led the league in innings pitched, which he would That would be the first of three years in a row he would do that. Only in 1988, he would pitch all those innings, but he just pretty much stopped giving up runs. On August 30th of 88, Hershiser threw a complete game, his third complete game of eight in a row. He gave up two runs in a 4-2 victory over the Expos. At the point he was at that point in the season, he was 18 and 8 with a 2.84 ERA. If you asked a very biased 13-year-old me, I would have guessed at that point that Oral would be end the season looking up in the Cy Young voting to David Cohn. Uh, while David Cohn would win his last eight starts of the year to finish 20 and 3, Oral would of course match and transcend that by doing something historic. Uh, in that. 
August 30th complete game. The last, the two runs he gave up were in the fifth inning, so he didn't give up a run in the last four innings of that game. And then he would go on, of course, to throw 55 more innings in his next six starts, surrendering zero runs, setting a still major league record 59 consecutive scoreless innings, breaking the mark of 58 and two-thirds held by former Dodger Don Drysdale. And honestly, it still feels painful for me to talk about 1988. Uh, That's where the Mets were supposed to officially become a dynasty. 1987 was just an anomaly caused by injuries. Um, You know, if I knew then what I knew now, I was a a cocky fan then, and, you know, the 86 Mets encouraged that cockiness. Uh, But I, you know, probably should have been more nervous about that series with a pitcher like that having a series and a season like that going into the playoffs. And indeed, though it didn't count towards records, Oral held the Mets scoreless through the first eight innings of Game 1 of the NLCS, but down 2 nothing, the Mets rallied. Daryl Strawberry doubled home Greg Jeffries to chase Hershiser, uh, an aging, hobbling Gary Carter that doubled in two off of reliever Jay Howell to give the Mets a 3-2 lead. Randy Myers closed the game out. Unfortunately, unlike Game 4, very famously, the Mets conquered the great Hershiser and won a game against the team they had won 10 of 11 of during the regular season in the playoffs, and honestly, it seemed all but done at that point. But then the series got crazy. The Dodgers ambushed David Cohn in Game 2. Uh, then Game 3 got rained out. I went to that Game 3. I remember sitting outside a cold, rainy Shea Stadium at night until the game was officially called, and that allowed Oral to start Game 3 on three days rest against Ron Darling. That is one of the coldest games I've ever attended, uh, probably, and of course it's much more fun, probably the only colder game I can remember was an opening day against the Cubs, I think 05, Glavin's first start, which was freezing, and we the Cubs scored in double digits, and Remains one of the only games I remember leaving early because it was so cold, but I wasn't leaving game three of the playoffs. Uh, Again, the Mets came back against Hershiser. They scored two unearned runs in the sixth off of him. Uh, The Dodgers crept ahead 4-3 in the eighth, uh, but the Mets famously got Jay Howell kicked out for using sandpaper leading at the bottom of the eighth, and they rallied against the Dodger bullpen for an 8-4 lead and victory. Listeners, it was like 1986 all over again. The Mets would fall behind in the playoffs and stage an improbable comeback. They won two games that Oral Hershiser started. If you want, blame me. I walked out into the parking lot and I bought a t-shirt that uh, proclaimed the Mets uh, two-time world champions after that game, some bootleg shirt that was being sold in the Shea Stadium parking lot already proclaiming the Mets 1988 world champions. But so it goes. Should have uh, held on to that shirt, but it doesn't matter. The Mets have given me many, many memories of uh, many cautionary tales as to avoiding the hubris of fandom such as that uh, between 1988 and today. But Hershiser's legend and impact as far as that series really coalesced in that next heartbreaking game uh, when the Mets had the 4-2 lead in the ninth and were 
an inning away from taking a 3-1 lead and, you know, dusting off the Dodgers. Uh, of course, Sosha hit the home run. Uh, the Dodgers took a 5-4 lead in the 12th. And three pitchers, including Hershiser, coming in to record the final out, uh, getting Kevin McReynolds to pop out to record a save with the bases loaded. And then, of course, one Game 7, throwing a shutout uh, against the Mets in a game in which they got blown out early and had no hope of coming back with Hershiser mowing them down. Uh, so Hershiser went 1-0 with a save in the NLCS and won the League Championship Series MVP. Then, of course, he went on to go 2-0 in the Dodgers' five-game World Series victory over the A's in 1988. And he's still, the, to this day, the only player to receive the Cy Young Award, LCS MVP, and World Series MVP in the same season. It's an astounding year, an astounding accomplishment, and unfortunately, so much of it at the expense of the Mets. In 89, Hershiser had a season much more like 86 and 87, pitched incredibly well to a 2.31 ERA, led the league in innings pitched, and FIP finished fourth in the Cy Young voting, uh, but went 15 and 15. Uh, then is where his career took a big turn. In 1990, he only appeared in four games before it was determined that he had a torn labrum in his shoulder. Here, when He underwent reconstructive surgery on his shoulder, uh, done by Frank Job. It was the first time the procedure had been uh, done on a major league player, and uh, it was definitely a question if he would ever return, and he did not return until the middle of the 1991 season. He went 7-2 and two with a 3.46 ERA, and uh, one comeback player of the year that year, you know, in part, in large part, I think, because of the severity of the injury he had to overcome. Uh, but he was never quite the same dominant pitcher, and then he became probably, you know, more of what you remember, if you remember him as a Met, uh, you know, a veteran getting by on guts and guile and all of those other cliche things. He had two more... Uh, Three more, actually, workmanlike years with the Dodgers, 92, 93, 94, uh, where, again, he was kind of a 500 pitcher, his ERA up in the high threes, uh, but he made, you know, 33 starts in each of 93 and 94, uh, 92 and 93, uh, only 21 and 94 because of the strike, which shortened the year. A free agent when baseball came back in 1995, Hershiser signed a three-year contract with the burgeoning Cleveland Indians organization. You know, it an incredible young team, uh, primarily an offensively-minded team, you know, with your Tomei, Albert Bell, uh, Al- Alomar, Bayerga, Kenny Lofton, uh, but did not have a great pitching staff, so they signed Hershiser to kind of provide the veteran you know, the GM, John Hart, said they wanted a veteran with character and competitiveness. And that's certainly what they got. And they also got someone who would perform. He went 16-6 and six for the 95 Indians uh, with a 3.87 ERA. Uh, the Indians made their first postseason appearance in 41 years that year. And he went 2-0 in the LCS against the Seattle Mariners, winning his second League Championship Series MVP award. In the World Series, Hershiser would start Game 1 of the 95 Series, getting outdueled by Greg Maddox in a 3-2 Braves victory, but he would uh, he would best Maddox in Game 5 with the 
Braves up three games to one. Hershiser would keep the Braves alive, uh, excuse me, keep the Indians alive by uh, leading them to victory in game five, going one on one in the World Series. But of course, the Braves would win game six and win their one championship of that 90s into the early 2000s run of theirs. Hershiser's ERA would creep up into the fours in 96 and 97, but he was still on very good Indians teams with great offenses, so he would post really good records, you know, 16 and 6, 15 and 9, 14 and 6 with those uh, in his three years in Cleveland, and the 97 team, of course, would make it back to the World Series again. This time, Hershiser was more running on fumes at age 38. Uh, he pitched decently in two starts against the Yankees in the LDS, uh, pitched incredibly well in uh, seven scoreless innings against the Baltimore Orioles in his one LCS start, uh, but he pitched very poorly uh, in two starts in the World Series against the Marlins. He had an 11.70 ERA, throwing 10 innings and giving up 13 runs and taking two losses in the Indians' seven-game World Series defeat to Florida. The former Dodger great then spent the 1998 season with the San Francisco Giants, having a middling 11-10 season with a 4.41 ERA, but making 34 starts, uh, which made him a candidate for the 1999 Mets, looking for a veteran presence in their starting rotation. And yeah, I don't think I could have been more annoyed, uh, both from the general... Yeah, symbolic sense of, yeah, there go the Mets picking the cheap free agent option instead of, you know, investing money in a team that's promising, you know, let, let's not spend money on a huge free agent pitcher or make the big trade, let's let's sign someone off the scrap heap. Um, but again, as I said at the top, perhaps even more importantly, this was Oral Hershiser, that weaselly looking guy who stole our second world championship in three years with his being really awesome or whatever. And yeah, it just, it was not something that made me happy. And yeah, he went 13 and 12 as a Met with a 4.58 ERA. Uh, although, you know, that was a, it was a 97 ERA plus. I mean, that was an incredible offensive year, but I, I just really grew to enjoy and appreciate watching him pitch and was surprised at how confident I was when he was on the mound that he would figure out something and mitigate it. I mean, I was talking about it with my friend and all I can say is it it just, he, he grew to remind me of Harris in Major League. Just, you know, that old, I'm throwing every piece of junk I got at him, Skipper. Uh, you know, it looked like he had, you know, duct tape and screws out there and on the mound, but he would get through 179 innings, and I don't know, he just really impressed me. He actually threw the second most innings on the team behind Lighter, and, you know, Lighter and Rick Reed aside, I mean, I probably had the most faith in him of anyone else in the rotation. Obviously, the team had a better bullpen than starting rotation, but... Uh, you know, that was the team we built and relied on him. I feel like this one's, this podcast's getting a little long, so I mean, there's really, as I said, he went 13 and 12, but uh, just want to discuss the Mercury Mets game 
and the playoffs and the role Oral played in both of those as a Met. On July of July sixth of nineteen ninety nine, Hershiser won five scoreless innings against the Expos, winning his hundred ninety ninth career game. Uh, unfortunately for him, he lost his next two starts against the Yankees and Tampa Bay. Uh, so he was going into his July twenty second start against the Expos again for the third time in search of his two hundredth career win. And as immortalized in more recent coverage of the Mercury Mets. Uh, he, prepping for that start against the Expos, Hershiser knew that his next start was scheduled to be July 27th, 1999, and as I made famous, I think, in an article uh, by Anthony DeComo about the Mercury Mets, Hershiser flatly said his motivation going into that start against the Expos was that he did not want to have to go for the 200th win of his career in the ridiculous Mercury Mets uniform. Happily for Oral, he would give up two runs over seven innings against the Expos in Stade Olympique, and the Mets would explode for six runs in the second inning, and he would cruise to his 200th career victory one start before the immortal Mercury Mets game. On July 27, 1999, the Mets and Pirates took the field. Uh, in those turn-ahead-the-clock uniforms, the Pirates blissfully just had a really gigantic pirate logo, but the Mets went all in. Uh, the team was had supposedly relocated from New York to the planet Mercury, uh, silver and black uniforms, uh, alien logos, alien images for the players on the Diamond Vision at Shea was, depending on who you ask, delightful or a farce. Uh, I guess everyone at the time thought it was a farce, but of course, with looking back in nostalgia, it uh, it perhaps has a certain kind of amusement, and I definitely look back at it, you know, as something entertaining and amusing. Uh, although at the time I was just like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Uh, I don't think I read much about it. I think I just the other day before the game was just like, "What?" But yeah, if you find, or I will also tweet out uh, from the account, uh, the MLB uniform. Uh, the MLB.com uh, article uh, by Anthony DeComo were these the worst or best jerseys ever about the Mercury Mets, but uh, most importantly, the Mets did lose that game 5-1 to one, uh, to the Pirates. Uh, Hershiser was outdueled by future Met and perhaps future unformidable Met Chris Benson in that game. Uh, so the Mercury Mets went a sad 0-1 and one for their career. Uh, but I do stand by my statement that I would rather see the Mets don those Mercury Met uniforms than their throwback black jerseys. But, you know, whatever. I've made my peace with those of you who love the black jersey. It's whatever. Again, much like Oral Hershiser, I'm sure you'll rest easy knowing I give you my blessing. With the trade deadline acquisition of Kenny Rogers, Hershiser actually did not factor into the Mets postseason starting rotation in 1999. They went with Leiter, Reed, Kenny Rogers, and Masato Yoshi. Uh, Earl only pitched one inning in the LCS victory over the Diamondbacks, and he didn't appear in the first four games of the LCS against the Braves, uh, but he threw four and a third scoreless innings over games five and six, and yeah, probably, you know, as much as I say I, he pitched well for us during the 1999 regular season, and I remembered him fondly. It's really that 
Grand Slam single game that uh, where for for me and I believe for a lot of Met fans, Oral earned his stripes and earned his appreciation, throwing three and a third scoreless innings of relief of Masato Yoshi uh, in that, you know, probably lost in the drama of those, you know, epic 15 innings. But in the top of the fourth, the Mets had been ahead 2-0. Uh, the first four Braves reached off of Yoshi, tying the game, and Hershiser came in with first and second and no one out, and it's seeming like we were just going to get blown out in five games, and that fourth game was just going to you know, be us avoiding the sleep. Struck out Andrew Jones, struck out Eddie Perez, got Walt Weiss to ground out to first, and got us out of a huge jam, kept the game tied at 2-2. Score at which it would stay for, oh, just the next 10-plus innings. He gave up one hit in his three and a third innings, but he did walk three, and with an error, the Braves loaded the bases in the sixth at one point. Uh, he hit someone with a pitch. Uh, so again, he danced around trouble, and I'm pretty sure it was at that game that my friend first gave me the the Harris uh, you know, analogy that has stuck with me through the years for Oral. But he got us through probably uh, one of the toughest stretches of the game and enabled that incredible, indelible Met moment from Robin Ventura to take place. And honestly, in that game six, uh, you know, when the Mets tied it on that dramatic Mike Piazza home run, and Hershiser threw a one, two, three, seventh, uh, retiring Brett Boone, Chipper Jones, and Brian Jordan. And I, I really wanted him to stay in the game. I mean, the Mets uh, got a runner on, and uh, Melvin Mora pinch it for him, driving in a go-ahead run in the eighth. So obviously you had a pinch it for him there. But I remember being legitimately like, yeah, just keep Oral in there. He's uh, he's that guy. Unfortunately, though, that bottom of the seventh in game six of the 1999 NLCS would be the last inning Oral would throw as a Met. Fittingly, he would uh, go to the Dodgers in the 2000 season. Uh, he was clearly... Uh, done. The, the fumes that he was running on ran uh, dried up. He went 1-5 in, in 10 games, 6 starts with a 13.14 ERA, but still seemed fitting that he closed out his career with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And what a career it was. Good for 56 war, according to baseball reference. Hershiser was 204 and 150 as a major league starter, a major league pitcher with a 3.48 ERA. He threw 3,130 innings, struck out 2,014 batters in his career. As a Met, in his one season, he went 13 and 12 with a 4.58 ERA. Uh, 179 innings probably helped. It's actually good for uh, 1.9 WAR as a Met. Again, uh, that was a heavily offensive era and season and he threw a lot of innings at about league average, and again had a couple of memorable, a uh, couple of impressive playoff appearances and a couple of very memorable Met playoff games. And while no record with the Mets, you know, unfortunate 1-0 with a save against the Mets, and in his playoff career he was 8-3 with a 2.59 ERA, uh, again all the more impressive when you, you know, those last two starts in 97 against the Marlins. He, he got shelled before that. His playoff numbers were extraordinary. And actually, when you look at Hershiser's similarity scores on baseball reference, uh, most of the players are not Hall of Famers, but they're all just huge names. And there are a few Hall of Famers. Uh, Catfish Hunter, 
and Dazzy Vance are in the Hall of Fame, whereas other, the most similar pitcher was Bob Welsh, but others such as Kevin Brown, Vita Blue, Tim Hudson, Dave Steeb are all names that you could at least argue, uh, you know, could, could be belong in the Hall of Fame. And a final delightful note, uh, the most similar pitcher to Hershiser in the final year of his career at age 41, as there are fewer comps as you get older and older, the one and only Bartolo Colon. Hershiser's Jaws numbers are just shy of the Hall of Fame. I would say, though, that, um, you know, given for certain players get that postseason bump, uh, and he, you know, one could argue he could have had it, but uh, he didn't. He probably falls just short in that hall of very, very good. In his post-baseball career, he has announced for the Dodgers, and he has played poker professionally, uh, and he's still very active uh, presence in baseball, in social media, and so forth. But for one season in one of the most memorable uniforms ever, for better or worse, and in one of the most memorable Met playoff games ever, solely for better, uh, Oral Hershiser was indeed unformidable. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our Amazing Pods wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets!